I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach, and welcome to my vlog, where it is both my mission and my pleasure to highlight my creative journey in hopes of giving you specific takeaways, inspiration, all that way your journey can be at least a little bit easier. Now, before I fully dive into everything, I would love to take the opportunity to invite you to subscribe if you haven't already, that we get all the various lessons and episodes that I put out right when I put them out. Thank you if you just did, and thank you if you already were. It truly does mean a lot to me, as I hope it does to you. So, uh, this past week, uh, a lot of good progress had been made in terms of my latest film project. So, in short, it's in development, right? So that means I'm working on the script and things of that nature. It is meant as an animated movie. And what really kind of propelled me forward this past week was, you know, last week I had seen this movie called Suzume by um, renowned anime director Shinkai, who's done Your Name, Weathering With You, things of that nature. And, you know, I saw it with my friends and it's just kind of like marinated in my mind in terms of what the movie was about, how it utilized animation to justify itself, right? Like it wasn't animated just because for the sake of being animated, like there, there was a very specific reason and they utilized the medium to tell the story that they wanted to tell and needed to tell. And it was just wonderful, right? So that kind of opened up my mind in various ways. And, you know, it also kind of made me take a step back. And, you know, while I'd seen a lot of the big, well-regarded anime films such as Akira, uh, Perfect Blue, Paprika, Mind Games, and so on and so forth, obviously the Studio Ghibli ones with Spirit Away, Princess Mononoke, pretty much seen all the spirit uh, uh all the studio ghibli movies but i re- realized i'd not actually seen shinkai's work not all of it and so part of it was just this entire week i really deep dived into his earlier work you know and kind of was because for me one of the big things is always to study people i admire Right, so like let's say a Robert Rodriguez, a Christopher Nolan, things of that nature, right? And you could apply this to yourself. And it's like, okay, where you know they're at where I want to be now, but how did they get there? So I can extract those lessons, learn them for myself, and essentially emulate them, right? You know, when when I went out to make my first movie, my goal was, okay, who are the people that I absolutely love, and what was their first movie, and let me make something akin to that. So, you know, now with this being my first full animated movie, it's like, let me, let me kind of track the progression of all of this. And I, you know, as I said, I, I saw all of Studio Ghibli's movies, you know, Hayao Miyazaki from kind of start to finish and, you know, the progression of all that. And so I wanted to do it with Shinkai. And so I saw five centimeters per second, I saw the place promised in our early days, um, Children Who Chase Lost Voices. Uh, children Who Chase Lost Voices, that, that was kind of like a little bit, not later, but um, you know when he was starting to like really get in a groove. And yeah, that one really resonated with me. But even with 
the former films that I had mentioned, you could tell his themes, you could tell his sensibilities, right? Like what became his style. And he was just working through that, you know, both from a creative standpoint, both in terms of, you know, perhaps I assume uh, a resource standpoint, you know, the more success he got, the bigger his budgets, and that allowed him to, you know, do things like the children who chase lost voices, which then, you know, can lead to your name and then, you know, weathering with you and now Suzume, right? Like these, you know, really working on this high level. And so that was just great to see in general and how I can kind of reverse engineer it for myself. And it also opened up my mind in terms of why I love animation in general, why I want to do this movie as an animated movie, and how that opens up the story and what about it resonates with people. And one of the things, you know, for me, there's all kinds of animations, right? You can do stop motion animation, you can do 3D animation and all this other stuff. For me, I like, you know, using digital tools, sure, but like that old school hand-drawn feel, you know, like a Studio Ghibli movie. And, you know, I was talking with a friend, they were like, why, why do those movies hold up and so forth? And I was like, well, I think because animation, when done right, that is the final form, right? Unlike with CGI, there's always an improvement on CGI. And yes, there's different styles to animation and so forth, and you can have more time and resources and things like that. But overall, like what you draw is the final product, right? And so and that's why it can hold up years later. It's, it's no different than when you shoot things for real uh, in terms of live action, that holds up a lot better than, you know, stuff that utilized CGI from years ago to now, right? Like, it feels dated. Whereas if you shoot it, you know, for real, practically, it looks real, therefore is not dated, right? And so I think animation plays into that way, and that's why animation in many ways can be timeless. And that's what I love about this uh, is because, yeah, I want this story you know, I have a lot of ambition for this story. Obviously, I know it takes a lot of work to achieve that and so forth, but, you know, I'm working on that. I don't focus on the achievement side of it, but, you know, in order to get that potential, I know I have to put in that work. But, yeah, it would, it would all be nice and, and, you know, deconstructing what works about all this other stuff allows one to see that, right? So, yeah, just, just been doing a lot of that. Uh, then as far as the actual script itself, you know, I had continued pushing forward in terms of everything, you know, writing out, because I, I have an outline and, you know, I, I was pushing forward scene by scene, you know, getting it from start all the way to completion. And as I talked about in the last vlog at length, 
this notion that, yeah, I was trying to get to the end, the, the finish line of, of this one draft. And as I was going through it, you know, I was taking notes of how things can be improved and, and shifted and so forth. And my intention was to get all the way to the end in that same fashion. But, you know, I got about midway through, right? So the, the midpoint climax, so to speak. And I also spoke with a collaborator, John Comerford, who had read up until the first act, right? Because that's what I sent him. And, you know, we were, we were going through the various notes and it just seemed like, okay, these, these are great. This is, these are all wonderful suggestions. So let me go back, you know, let me utilize your notes and my notes and really give this a polish because that will help to clarify all the stuff that's coming later, right? Like it, you know, I, I was I was building the plane as I was flying it, but realizing that it, it was just going to go off the rails. And I know I'm mixing metaphors with a plane and a, and a train, but just go with me, right? Understand. So it was very beneficial to speak with John. And when I say like, we literally had like a three-hour conversation, just about 30 pages of script, right? That's how in-depth it was. And we were talking about character motivations and ways to up that. Also, just in terms of how the script is read, right, and perceived, you know, in particular, orienting the readers or more specifically the actors you know, who need to play these parts so that way they understand what is what is the motivation, what's going through that head and just giving them benchmarks within the script to be able to have that in their mind, right? Because I was very much writing it of like, this happens, this happens, but not giving much sort of insight. And generally, like, that's the weird part about scripts. You want to overall write only what you see. And so you don't want to say, you know, too much of the internal dialogue. And But when you do, you want to be specific with how you do it in a way that allows the actor to take that and play it and use it, right? Like they can actually portray that on screen. You know, you never write um, seeing seeing the ice cream reminded him of his brother from three years ago. You don't want to do something like that because how do you convey that emotion, right? I mean, you have to, <coughs> excuse me, go into a flashback or something like that, which you could if that's what you want to go. But more so, you know, you could say he looked at the ice cream as if he'd never seen such food in his life, right? Like that's something that someone can act. And so it's a fine line of how you do it. And it's great to have someone like John be able to highlight that for, for me. So that way I can elevate it. And what's nice is, you know, even though I was like halfway through, 
there was this feeling for me that they're just kind of going off the rails. So, and more so like, was anything that I had, like, because I had so many notes just for myself, right? Even before John, it was like, okay, is any of this good? Like, is it worth continuing this way knowing that I already have so many notes? And what was nice in talking with John was the fact that it made me realize that, no, what what's here needs to be finessed 100%, like that much I always knew, but not as much as I, I thought. And, and, you know, the, the work that goes into fixing it wasn't as brutal as I thought. You know, it's actually more minor changes. And, and like with all things, when you start with the first draft, you tend to overwrite. I mean, pretty much every writer, amateur to professional, that I've ever known and studied speaks about that. You know, the, the first draft is overwritten and then the revision is really more about revise, 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 edit, 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 take out, take out, take out, and have just faith in the audience and all this other stuff, right? And so that's what me speaking with John was all about, was that it clarified all these things for me that I wasn't on the wrong track, that there was stuff there. We just need to comb through it to make sure what was intended really stood out and what was superfluous didn't need to be there. And, you know, at the time when I wrote it, it's not that I didn't feel that it was superfluous. I just didn't necessarily have it in mind of, okay, how do I make this cleaner, (laughs) right? And so thanks to John, I was able to to help clean it up in that way. And so right now I'm pretty much got a full revision of basically act one, right? Act one, pretty much good, right? Not saying that there's not going to be changes, that this is the final version, but it is night and day. And what was nice specifically with this pass was as far as the lore of the whole world, right? Those, those were a lot of my notes for myself. I understand by, by doing this and just getting thoughts onto paper, I'm starting to understand the world better and see, see it. And therefore I can write it in that way. Whereas before, I mean, quite literally there are sections where, you know, they sing a song and it was like, just insert lyrics. I knew what the, what the lyrics should be, or there were news reports that were supposed to go on or things, you know, someone's leading, reading a piece of paper or whatever. And it was just like, you know, this is what the paper intends to say, or this is what the news report intends to be about. Now I very much went in and wrote all that out, right? Now I had the, the brain capacity to take it to that next step. And so I'm, but I'm clarifying it for myself. And by having it clear, the further I get, I can track their journeys better, right? That's, that's why I was kind of going off the rails was because I knew things on the macro level and I knew that they should be working on the macro level, but in terms of the micro, it was disjointed, right? 
so that's where we're getting at. And my overall goal with this has been to try to have a polished draft of the script that can be submitted to the Austin Film Festival. The Austin Film Festival final deadline is May 25th. So not too far off, but pretty much a month. So within that month, I've got to finish act two and three. That's a tall task, but now I feel more equipped. It feels a lot more doable. And as a refresher, what I talk about, you know, it's, it's just kind of an arbitrary deadline, right? Like I, I would love, like I love the Austin Film Festival and it would be wonderful if the script got accepted and, you know, if it won, it won. Like that would, that would all be amazing. But really it's about just kind of setting this deadline for myself, but also knowing that if I don't feel what I have is good enough, then to not do it, right? So we'll see how it all plays out. At, at this moment, it feels a lot more doable than it did before because, yeah, I, you know, the, the version of the script I had last week with so many of my internal notes and so forth, it was like, okay, this, this feels like a pretty big rewrite when in reality it hasn't been, you know, and how the first draft of the script ultimately turns out, we'll see. But it feels like it'll be an enjoyable and readable version by May 25th. Feels that way. You know, as I said, will it be the final thing? No, this thing will go through so many revisions. In fact, the way I'm structuring it, it is meant to go through revisions to elevate it, right? My, my, my entire goal, even though it's animated, I want to film it in live action. And that's not to say like building sets and so forth, but quite literally in my apartment with actors, you know, that will be playing these roles and we'll play make-believe and we'll film it shot by shot and all that stuff. And I'll be able to edit it so I can see the movie and see if it's working, right? Before I ever hand it off, to the animators in terms of the final sequences. And so through this, you know, that's very much built into it. And so, you know, I'm sure there's gonna be plenty of changes to elevate the script, but we're doing it in the most cost-effective way to make sure we have the best story and we can iterate as we go. Now, in terms of, you know, the animators, the goal is, you know, we have a picture-locked movie, which means it's been edited. I want to have it be basically completely sound designed, right? So the score is in there, the sound effects are in there, you know, I, I want to, the reason why I'm feeling it this way is because I want live performances and I want to utilize people's voices instead of them going into a voiceover booth they're, they're actually acting, right? Not that voiceover acting isn't acting. In fact, you know, in many ways, it's a lot harder because all you have to, to, to utilize is your voice. Whereas here, you know, they can use their bodies and stuff like that. But the benefit for me is then the animators can see those physical performances and utilize that. And again, the idea is that 
it would be shot, you know, each shot by shot, like fully edited in the way that I want them to animate it, right? And obviously they'll need to add the backgrounds and let's say crowds and, you know, technology and blah, blah, blah. But at least it gives them a nice framework to begin with, right? Now, through this whole process, you know, right now, currently, we've almost got all the main characters drawn out, right? And so, even though the animators won't be animating the film until we've shot everything and picture locked and so forth, there's plenty of stuff for them to do, right? So I mentioned there's the background, the technology, and so, so forth. So we're utilizing this process to bring all that to light. So that way we're not starting from scratch when the movie's quote unquote picture locked, but you know, we have a good runway. We know what the main characters look like. We know all the characters. We, we have various locations and the scenes and blah, blah, blah. Like all that is built out no different than you preconceptualize for any other movie, right? And so that's where we're at, right? We, we are working on the main characters and we're close to being complete with the main characters. And, you know, in that same way, they'll shift and things like that based on ideas of the script, but at least we're close in terms of where we want to be, right? Like it gives us enough of a, okay, cool. This orients us, we're here. And it, it, it paints a picture for all involved, myself, the actors, the, the rest of the crew and all that to be like, okay, cool. They can, you know, judge the script based on that or elevate, right? And that's a big theme of what I've been talking about and what I continue to talk about. It's a lot easier to iterate than to come up with something from scratch. So now as we have the characters drawn, it becomes a lot easier to put our minds together and be like, oh, okay, you know what? I like this here, but you know what? What if we added this and instead of that, we changed it to this, right? Like we can talk about revisions and elevating it versus like, okay, so anyone have any ideas of uh, what the hell this thing's gonna look like, right? So it's just fun to see the pieces of the puzzle come together, right? That's what this all really is. So yeah, that, that's that's been really, really fun and you know, where, where I'm at with things. So, you know, that, that's been a, a major, major thing. The other thing that I worked on last week was editing together this tutorial video for the Financially Fit Foundation. So the Financially Fit Foundation is this nonprofit organization that I am involved in. And what we do, what we aim to do is teach people financial literacy essentially and, and how to gain control over their finances. We teach what's called the safe system. So to spend in alignment with your values, not your ego. And so as part of that, we're trying to, you know, for lack of a better term, scale and stuff like that. And how do you scale? Well, you have to have a, a level of consistency and so forth. And so, you know, I obviously being in video production and so forth, that's what I bring to the table. I'm not the one that's like 
the knowledgeable one of accounting, essentially, right? Now, I utilize the SAFE system, and in fact, it's what, you know, by doing it, I do have a control on my finances and can make all the movies and the art that I've been making, right? And so, you know, in that way, I know it intimately in that way, right? And utilize it, but again, as far as, you know, the founder and stuff like that, you know, they've lived it, right? Same way that I live art, they've lived, you know, finances. And so they bring that to the foundation. I'm able to extract that and, um, you know, put it into video form, right? So we can teach it. So, you know, that was a big project, right? It took me, it took me about a week and a half to go from conception to filming to making it. And this wasn't just like a tiny little video. I mean, this was ended up being this whole tutorial, like a 33 minute video. So a lot involved with that. You know, other tutorials will need to be made. But I'm glad that we're getting into some sort of rhythm of that and able to progress the foundation, right? And ultimately what that means is being able to have an impact on people so people can have a better control of their finances. And that feels good, right? So I'm excited about that. For fun, every year the film cast does what they call the summer movie made wager, the summer movie wager. So they predict what the summer box office will be like domestically within the US. So, you know, technically Memorial to Labor Day type of thing is what the summer in theory should be considered, but you know, with so many big blockbuster movies and stuff like that, it's always, uh, you know, it's creeping up earlier and earlier. And it's just a fun way to get excited about movies, right? And so what they do is they predict, you know, one through 10, what these movies will be. They, you know, ranking them as such, and there's a point system based on how close you are. And you also get three dark horses that, uh, you know, these are three movies that if, they make it on the top 10, you at least get some points, right? And it's just a lot of fun ultimately, right? As I said, it's it's a fun way to get excited about the summer movie season to also learn what is coming out. And, it, you know, it's fun now to kind of be back into it, right? They, they resumed last year, but last year it was tough to like even just sort of pick 10 movies that could end up on the top 10 list. Like it was like, are there even 10 movies ultimately kind of coming out, right? It was just that, you know, post pandemic, still maybe in the pandemic sort of mentality. Studios didn't know what, how to go about it. Now it feels like that at least the movies are gonna be released and you know, what will happen with the box office, nobody knows, but, but at least studios are putting those movies out. And it's always fun to participate, and you you, you can participate too. Uh, so go to summermoviewager.com, and you can you know participate, or just see everyone else's picks and stuff like that. And there's a little bit of benefit, 
you know, where obviously on the podcast, the film cast, you know, you get everyone's perspective of their rankings. So it's five people giving their rankings and their justifications for the ranking. So, you know, in some sense, I and certainly other people benefit from, you know, their sort of analysis and being like, oh, okay, you know, I agree with you here. I don't agree with you here. And you can kind of shuffle it based on that. I think, you know, in order to like participate as far as the leaderboard, you have to lock in your votes before Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 comes out because that's when they're dubbing it as the start of the movie season for the summer. So, you know, time's a ticking, so to speak. Anywho, yeah, so that's that's kind of been the fun thing. Another, this past week, one of the things I'm proud of for myself is having some sort of difficult conversations that I needed to have, right? And not shying away from them. And perhaps in the past, you know, in the midst of those conversations, I would shut down and wouldn't speak my mind. But in this past week, I did, you know, and also doing it from a healthy place. A few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I did an episode about how each of us need to be 100% responsible for 100% of every relationship that we have in life. Because the truth of the matter is, as hard as it may be to swallow, and certainly was for me initially, is we are 100% responsible for the relationships. Like we create every relationship in our lives. Point blank, that's it. And as I said, that, that can be a hard pill to swallow because that means that for good or bad or ugly, you are the culprit. You are now responsible. Whatever happens, it's not on the other person. It's on you. But that also gives you agency and is illuminating to then, okay, so how do I need to shift? And why is this happening that way? And it's not to say that, you know, if someone's mistreating you and so forth, that you then have to, you know, remain in that relationship or so forth. But it gives you the agency to realize, okay, they're mistreating me. So... What do I do about it? Because, you know, it's, it's akin to that adage of life is 10% of what happens to me, 90% of how I respond to it, right? Like that's essentially what owning 100% of, 100% of the, the relationship is all about, you know, knowing that we create our relationships. So if you stick in a toxic relationship, you know, whether a work environment, a friendship, a romance, that's on you, right? Or also, you know, kind of looking at it of like, okay, if this is what's happening, you know, for me, it was less about that side of it, more so about the side of like, okay, this is what's happening. This is how it's manifesting. So my knee-jerk reaction might be to say F them, 
let my ego take over and say, no, you know, that's, that's on them. They're not living up to, you know, their end of the bargain, so to speak. And it's like, no, no, no. Let me put myself in their shoes. And based on the actions I'm taking, how is that, how is that working for them? So, yeah, hard to take ownership of your actions. Again, good, bad, and ugly. And be like, okay, yeah, I could see why they would act these certain ways based on what I'm doing. So how do I change that, right? So that's been, uh, (laughs) you know, what I've been sort of reflecting upon. And I would encourage you to at least sit with the idea that you are 100% responsible for 100% of every relationship you have in your life. Friends, family, lovers, strangers, and so forth. And see how that works for you. It's tough, but when we rail against reality, we suffer. And when we don't, we start to see what's available to us, right? We have this agency. And that's what I appreciate. So, yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of always been sort of my guiding principle, right? Um, this stuff is less about my creative output, let's say. But as I call myself the 360 creative coach, you know, Everything in our life affects us, right? So how we act in the world, you know, fuels our art and vice versa. And so that's why I think, you know, having self-analysis is important. That's why I think taking care of yourself physically is important to art. Just life in general, right? And what's been interesting to me You know, as I reflect, a lot of people around me, it's great to see, are reading a lot of the self-help books. Like they're discovering the ones that I loved and read and had a big impact on me. And there's also times where there's, you know, friends that I have, they read ones that I haven't yet read and like, oh, you need to read this one. You need to be read this one. And what's interesting for me is a lot of times I have no interest in that. It's not to say that they're bad books or whatever, but in a sense, I've sort of gone on that journey, right? Like it's, it's akin to, in storytelling, we call it the hero's journey, right? This is Joseph Campbell. You get the call to action. You go on this journey and it irrevocably changes you. Well, I've sort of been on that journey. And it's not to say that I don't have room for improvement and so forth. Because obviously I do. You know, one of my favorite lines is from Kansas, carry on my wayward son, you know, where they say, if I ever claim to be a wise man, it truly means that I don't know. So it's not about that. It's not about arrogance, ignorance, or thinking like, okay, yeah, I know everything there is about self-help. But for me, I can understand the various principles presented in all of these overall. 
And what I'm interested in more now is a context. So I love learning about history and culture at this current moment, right? And again, this is not a knock on anyone else who is reading self-help. Again, we all just have these different paths to take in life, you know, at any particular moment. And mine just happens to be in a different, different route at the moment, let's say. But that's what I love. You know, one of my favorite recent nonfiction books has been Humans, A Brief History of How We Fucked It All Up. And I thought it was a very eye-opening book because it just showed how little we know about what we think we know. Right? It it, it, It takes all the sort of pillars that as a society we think are truths and it puts a mirror to it and the thing crumbles essentially, right? And so that, of course, does have an impact, you know, in terms of myself development because it's shattering limiting beliefs. And so when we consider self-help, you know, that, that's a core tenet is to shatter limiting beliefs. It might not always be phrased that way, but that's kind of what a core tenet of self-help is. And that's why, yeah, the, these, you know, other nonfiction books are great for me about history and culture. And also... I love fiction reading, right? I'm a big advocate of fiction reading and I, I wish that some of my friends, you know, did also read some fiction because I think, you know, we get into this habit, this odd habit that everything has to be very pur- purpose-driven. Well, first off, reading fiction, there's so many benefits, right? So it's like, talk about ignoring evidence and so forth. A great quote that I heard was, nonfiction raises your floor, but fiction raises your ceiling. And I think that's true. And, yeah, I I think there's just this inherent thing that if we just focus on optimizing ourselves, we sort of forget joy. Right? Because there are so many people that I see that have like really structured their life and so forth and blah, blah, blah. And I would love to know, are you happy? Because that's a question I don't think we ask enough. Taking it further, I would love to know, could you be happy without this routine that you've made for yourself? Can you be happy in chaos? And I think that's an important question. You know, Pico Ivor talks about this. It's real easy to find paradise when you're on vacation, right? It's blissful, idyllic, and so forth. 
So of course, oh, this is, you know, I'm in Hawaii, it's beautiful, it's paradise, and uh, this is where I want to stay for the rest of our lives, and so forth. But the truth of the matter is, most of our lives are spent at work and not in those places. I mean, sure, you know, there's people that have created their life where they've gone and done that, sure. But we get, it's not a solution for everyone, you know? In the sense that the world will just, in that sense, crumble. Like, we can't all move to Hawaii or Aruba or whatever, Tulum and so forth, and just be on permanent vacation. So really, the trick of it is to find paradise in our day-to-day. -day. You know, so when people talk about human optimization, I think, I think there's this insidious nature to it where, you know, everything then becomes so structured and so routine. And all of a sudden, you know, that gets shattered. It's like, how do people react? Can you still remain happy even in the worst of situations? That's a tall order. You know, and I have my moments too of getting mad and stuff like that or so forth, but one of my favorite lines from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original um, live action movie, is Splinter says, anger clouds the mind. And it does, you know. So I try to avoid that now and just, okay, cool. This is what's presented in front of me, right? 10% of life is what happens to me, 90% of how I react. So how will I react? And that's kind of what I'm driving at. So, and it's not to say people that have routines or strive for optimizing themselves that like they can't handle adversity. Um, a lot of them can, right? But it is also interesting to me the people that perhaps start these sort of journeys that like, you know, they aim just for that as opposed to what the real purpose is, is to be in a state of bliss no matter what. So yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, what I've been thinking about and how studying history and culture moves me forward in this exploration. I think that's important to call it an exploration because, you know, I'll draw conclusions, but it's important to have a malleable mind, right? Because what we think we know changes. If I ever truly, if I ever cl claim to be a wise man, it truly means that I don't know, right? So yeah, that's, uh, that's what's been on my mind. Maybe that resonates, let me know. Lastly, I'm gonna leave you with this. There, there was an idea that I had for a story and obviously I've got way too many projects, but I think it would be a fun one and so I'll toss it out for anybody if they wanna go ahead with it. Um, I think it'd be, you know, I'd certainly be interested in seeing it, but imagine if there's a multiverse and 
people could pay, people with enough money could pay to go live in another multiverse where their life is better. And what would that look like, right? That, that's the basic premise. So basically, you know, financial inequality, but across the multiverse. If that sounds interesting to you, run with it. But keep me in the loop, because I'm interested to see how that would manifest for you. Anyway, thank you so much. If you appreciate what I do and would love to connect more directly, that's what my Patreon page is for, patreon.com slash philsvitek. It's only $10 a month. It's only got one tier, so everyone gets the same benefits. You know, it's there. So consider that if it is not a financial burden to you in any way. Likewise, uh, you can go ahead and comment down below or hit me up on social media at philsvitek in response to anything that I've talked about or anything you want me to talk about in the future. Would love to have those discussions with you um, because, yeah, the comments that I see are fantastic. And so I encourage you to, you know, keep that, keep that interaction going. I love it. And you know, my goal is to bring you as much value and have this be a community because by having a community, it means there's value. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you next time.